Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars. In this year's series, we will take a deep dive into the things we love about this game and all tabletop gaming and why we love these things. On the 10th day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me 10 Lords of Leaping in some other setting because we're talking about settings that aren't D&D settings. Uh, it's, a, it's a wild notion, settings that aren't D&D. There are still some of them left. Is there such a thing? Allegedly. Okay, we'll find out. Uh, with me tonight, as always, is my uh, wise and delightful co-host, hello, Sam hello. Dillon. Wise and delightful. Can I get you to talk to my wife? <laughs> um, it, sure, but I mean, I, I think she's going to say I'm, I'm biased. I'm here to Probably. have an edition war, and yeah. you're not there to have, you know. That's true. Yep. Anyway, how are you this evening? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. So here's my problem. My problem is um, when we were talking about having this topic as one of the shows, one of the episodes, um, we said like our favorite three, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're trying, dear audience, and in an, in an effort to keep our episodes manageable and not uh, five hours long. But it's hard to pick three. Right. It's so hard to pick three. Uh, so, yeah. So what's what's your number one? Or I guess let's start with your number three and yeah, work well, up to your well, number well, one. Yeah. Hmm. So I know for sure what my number one is, and I've got a pretty solid handle on what my number two is. And these things, since they're the settings of other tabletop games, um, are going to show up a lot when we get to uh, – other tabletop games that I love and think mm -hmm. other people should try. Right. Um, yeah. I, I noticed saying. that too, when I did my prep too. Yeah. Um, so for my number three, I think I'm going to go with the expanse. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoy the, the TV series and um, I really enjoy the Leviathan wakes. I haven't read any of the rest of the series yet. Uh, I really enjoyed the the book. The differences between the book and the series are fascinating. Mm -hmm. A lot, lot mm -hmm. of choices going on there. Um, and I, I feel things about them. But just overall, I really love what they've done with the setting. Um, I like how many different people are sympathetic and unsympathetic by turns mm -hmm. in in the presentation and that just gives a lot of room for nuance and perspective. And I really appreciate that. Um, I think that's an important thing to do in any setting. Nice. Um, and also, I mean, it's, it's a, a very fine space opera. What's not to like. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So what is your number three? So my number three is, um, this setting called predation which is a, it's actually that's the name of the rpg because it's a okay. cipher it's a cipher system setting oh sure okay book. the actual settings name is grevic c okay uh and so predation is this game where the characters that you're playing are in they're humans that are in the cretaceous period um shortly before the uh big meteor is going to come and destroy 
everything and caused the big Cretaceous uh, extinction event. But uh-huh. the way that you got there was that in in the future, they developed time travel. Mm-hmm. And this global company has uh, has some reason to go back to the Cretaceous and do some research. And so they hire all these people and they send them back in the in these short stints of going back in time, doing this research and then coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, you know what's coming, right? At some point, some goes down yep. and breaks, right? Yep. And now there's people and they call them commuters because they would commute from one time to another. Yep. They get stuck there and then a couple of generations go by. So the PCs are children and grandchildren of these scientists and special specialists and whatnot that were commuters that were on that final fateful trip that then when stuff broke, they could never get back. Sure. Okay. And so they have access to a little bit of technology, but the PCs themselves are not native to this timeline. So to to the future timeline. So the only thing they know is what they've been taught Mm. and they are also living in a world with dinosaurs. And so the PCs have dinosaur companions basically <laughs> you know because they the one of the things that happened was the people that got stranded there started using their tech to you know um basically uh you know train certain groups of dinosaurs and certain types of creatures to be helpful to them because they had to start living right they 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 knew they suddenly realized they weren't going to get be able to get back so while they were still trying to get back they were also creating a society so that's the society you live in it's a really fascinating concept it's really really fun and the cipher system's okay it's basically a d20 system but the setting to me is what makes it it's really interesting um as a there's you know there's factions there's you know there's groups of people who want different things there there are uh groups that have sort of resigned themselves that they're never getting back. So they're not even looking for how to get back They're instead looking for other things. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's set up very well and it's very interesting. Cool. Yeah. What's your number two. Okay. So I'm totally going to cheat on number two. Okay. Uh, and list two things that one of them is uh, non D and D fantasy. And one is, Actually, science fiction, right? And okay. A setting I haven't played in, mm-hmm. but would like to someday. Just haven't. Okay. Um, it's just the only. There's the only uh, game written for that setting is GURPS, and I'm mm. not mm-hmm. super into GURPS. Sorry, GURPS fans. I'm sure you love your thing, but that's you. Um. So, two uh, A. Uh, is these- <laughs> wait two a? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said it was cheating. It's, it's two oh, good. My a is also going to have an a, and my two is also going to have an a b c d. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> anyway. Why wouldn't we? So uh, my two a right is Mage the Awakening, okay. um, the the New World of Darkness setting. Yeah. Uh, for Mage, specifically, uh, their their Boston setting book. Uh, I've run a bunch of Mage the Awakening Chronicles. I listened to a Mage the Awakening actual play podcast set in their Boston setting. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. really love it. Um, there are really cool setting mysteries, and that's that's why I like about it so much. Um, it's what keeps me coming back to it. 
Um, and each time I run a new chronicle in it, I feel like I sort of scrape off another layer and give it more depth and meaning and um, discover that it's a little bit better written than I thought. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And so th- that's, that's my two a, my two B is um, the space opera setting of uh, the miles for novels by Lois McMaster Bujold. Um, it's, it's sort of space opera that still remembers to have people care about each other rather than mm-hmm. making people sort of hard bastards all the time. Okay. Um, and um, in particular, the books are always going to focus on genetics, lineage, and reproduction. That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something that like winds up being a, a major through line of the whole series. Um, and I love the characters. I love the, the character of Miles Vorkosigan, especially um, just that there's a hugely formative series and setting for me. Mm-hmm. And I just adore it. Um, it's also something that I, you know, really enjoy sharing with my wife mm-hmm. um, and like getting a signed copy of, of a uh, Rokosigan. Oh, sorry. It wasn't a Rokosigan. No, it was a signed copy of a book by Bujold. I think it was Curse mm-hmm. Chalian actually uh, for uh, rabbit was one of the first gifts I ever gave her. I got to nice. meet Lois very briefly at uh, dragon con one year. And that was great. Um, so, Beautiful. like Mage of the Awakening is a, a, a cult urban fantasy setting, mm-hmm. and um, then Vorkosigan Saga is uh, a, a space opera setting with uh, fairly little sort of reality breaking content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't focus on hard SF. Like she's not super interested in, you know, where does gravity come from? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she is interested in things like um, the the politics and a, a fairly light version of the tactics of uh, wormhole breaching. Okay. Right. If you try to break through a wormhole to invade a system. Uh, now what? And the answer is it isn't great. Right. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a really great, um, like very much beloved um, space opera setting mm-hmm. that Lois wrote over many, many years. So that, that's, Excellent. that's my two. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, cause I have a, a, like five honorable mentions. So <laughs> sure. I, my honorable mention list is also substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my second one is, uh, is earth in the 1930s, but not earth as we know it. Okay. But earth as depicted in hollow earth expedition. Oh, okay. And earth as depicted in hollow earth expedition has an empty center 
with an entire world down there uh, that includes uh, weird uh, science, uh, weird scientist inventions and weird scientific theories that somehow work down there uh, and wouldn't work in on our natural world, you know, on top side uh, and also includes dinosaurs. My third one doesn't have dinosaurs in it, I promise. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get to ride dinosaurs and punch Nazis, and that's always a fun combination. Um, and uh, and it, it's the, the way that the system was developed, and it has a couple of source books that talk about the different factions and the different things that are going on. And you can play it as, you know, archaeological expeditions trying to find things out. You can play it as you know, hard-boiled detectives who are following a missing person and get caught up in things that they didn't know existed yet. Uh, you know, all that sort of 1930s noir stuff that you want to do, you could do that. Or you could just play the, you know, team of, you know, uh, of of military, you know, you a military unit team that is is sent down to to do something right. Like, I mean, it has a lot of different flexibility, and it's super fun. And I really, um, this is more about the books themselves than the actual setting, but but it, it it's all a package, right? So, uh, I really like the aesthetic that they used in it. It's very 1930s, you know, gangster cinema, pulpy, dime store book layout kind of thing um and the way that it's presented is is very heavy with the idea of well you know it could be this but we're not really sure what what exactly is going on your your job is to find out and i really like that and i enjoy it and it makes for a hell of a setting for an rpg all right yeah it sounds like a really good adventure energy yeah. Which one yeah. is he? Exactly. Nice. And I, you know, the thing is like, so for me, um, because so much of my life early on, at least was Dungeons and Dragons. And it's not that I didn't play other games, but I was sure. young and I played other games exactly like Dungeons and Dragons. Right. I played other games the same way I played Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, part of the reason why I like predation and hollow earth expedition the, the 1930s setting there is that the way that it's set up, it forces you to play different. Sure. Right. And so for me, that really is part of what sets it apart. Right. Cause I could make any old setting and make it so that you can play a D and D like game in it. But these settings specifically are meant to not evoke that, right. You, you get yeah. something different from that. So anyway, yeah. What, what's your number one? So uh, my number one, I do want to cover, a, a decent fistful of uh, honorable mentions. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, me too. A, a bunch of those. So my number one is Over the Edge. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> the, the island of Alamarja, Alamarja, uh, the, the city of the edge. I love that that setting. I, I love the books for it so much. It is so weird, mm -hmm. and it makes me so happy um to to run stuff in it it is one of the few settings where i have felt totally comfortable pivoting um moods and genres away from what i would normally run in dnd 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, I, it feels much more, you know, weird and thriller-ish. And it makes me so happy that I can make that work at all. Um, nice. Because, you know, uh, I have this, this issue in trying to run things that aren't D&D and my own setting where I don't feel confident enough that I understand the um, the conceits and the shortcuts and uh, that kind of thing um, of the, the genre and the setting well enough to communicate them well. I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, action fantasy with a couple of different uh, inflections on that is about as far as I can go mm-hmm. while staying comfortable, except that in Over the Edge, uh, it's a much more modern and the way I run it, like uh, sort of edge of the seat thriller situation. Um, I mean, I ran a, a game where uh, the the PCs were all coming to Alamarja because they were on a reality show. And they were the cast and crew of a reality show. They never knew if anything <laughs> happening around them was part of the show or not. Okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that worked so perfectly with the just totally unhinged weirdness of over the edge. Um, and like th- their whole first session was just getting out of the airport terminal. <laughs> this is right. completely normal for over the edge. Right. But th- they yeah. wake up as the, the plane is landing and just everything is a, a shade off. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. keep keep going with that and things just get weirder and weirder. And it makes me so happy. That's <laughs> that, that is my, one of my favorite settings of just anything. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you that the reason it's not on my top three is because I knew it was going to be in your top three. There you go. So if, if you hadn't said it, I was going to change my number one to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, I don't know what it is about the setting, but I feel so much more comfortable. Um, shifting up um, mood and tension there. Mm -hmm. And I don't run it like the game's actual creators do. Right. Right. I uh, like when the, uh, the 25th anniversary edition was coming out, um, I got to uh, watch Cam Banks run a a bit of it. And the way I would run it works. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. nothing at all mm-hmm. and i've gotten to play one of the um convention adventures that atlas you know created for this mm-hmm. and the way i run it doesn't work anything like that <laughs> uh and just uh it still feels right to the setting to me and the players have a good time so i think we're fun right right, right. oh um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. My my favorite version of it is uh, X Files. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it just is definitely a solid mode there. Yeah, it definitely just that mood can persist and it just stays. Yeah. My first uh over the edge you know campaign that ran for actually quite a few sessions. Uh all the PCs at the for the, of the first session were uh, burned CIA spies. Mm. So it was burn notice. Right. Right. Yeah. But set on, on Alamarja rather than Miami. Right. It was not okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the, the 1992 edition that uh, uh, Robin Laws and uh, Jonathan Tweet created together. And, nice. Was really really great. Very cool. Very cool. So, what's your number one? My number one is the third Imperium setting from Traveler. I was wondering if I was going to hear that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, you know, it has rivalries. It has technology. It's you know, it's often touted as oh, it's hard sci-fi. It's hard sci-fi. Whatever. It people only say that because it has equations. You know, it had equations in the original. You know textbook or you know the original book felt like a textbook the little black books felt like a textbook because they had equations in them that's the only thing that makes it hard sci-fi it's not still harder sci-fi than a lot of people oh sure bother with and right right but you don't have to you don't have to use the equations right yeah like you you just you make a table it's fine uh but but the thing is i guess my point is it it can be hard sci-fi right it can be but it can also be military sci-fi or it can be space opera and the reason is because there's rivalries, there's technology, but it's a little bit, it's dirty technology, right? Like, mm-hmm. what I mean is it's technology as people saw or people thought you what would be high tech in 2020, right? But what they thought about that in the 70s and 80s, right? Like, how, how they in, envisioned the technology, that's how the technology is in Traveler, right? Yeah. Um. It has, you know, space dogs and space cats. Uh, and I don't mean pets. I mean, it has um, species that are dogs and cats. Uh, yeah. it, it has spaceships, of course. It has um, weird aliens. It has uh, galactic power that you can play it in the part of the, of, the, of the setting where that's a really big part of it. Or you could play it where you're on the outskirts and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Uh, it has a weird almost feudal caste system within the empire where you get a, you can get a rank and you have social status just because of that. Um, But because it it is uh, not necessarily recognized, depending on what planet you're on, you may or may not be able to use that social status to your benefit. It actually may be a detriment. Right. Um, And so that creates conflict and interest. Um, and it it has this uh, weird thing about traveling where it's not really – I mean, it's not really faster than light travel. It's not like we see faster than light travel in other, in other types of sci-fi settings because what happens is you have these jump drives that let you go from one, one solar system to another, from one sector to another or whatever. And no matter how far you're traveling, how far you can travel depends on – the size and power of your drive of what kind of drive you have, but it always takes a week. So you are in jump space for a week. Okay. So it creates this setup where 
even though there's high tech, there are certain things where it just takes time. News doesn't travel instantaneously like it would in a different other standard faster than light you know, sci-fi universe. So it has all of these. It, it also therefore retains this sort of um, almost uh, pirates sailing across the ocean and you don't hear from them for a while kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, and you can press on any of those and you can go to any of the various different sectors that have been really spelled out and, and, you know, and, and have specific things going on, or you can go to areas where there hasn't hardly been anything going on and you can have your game and it can be whatever you want it to be. So it's highly flexible in that way, but it's also highly detailed in some areas. So it's a lot of fun. Um, again, you know, it's one of those where very similar, the reasons I love it, other than all the things I just said, the part of the reasons I love it is that it has that same aspect that the D&D settings I love has. And that is the way I learned about this was playing it and sure. playing yeah. through and going to the different planets and learning who the ruler is there and what's going on and what are the people like and what are the customs and all that stuff. And that's what made me fall in love with it. Um, so, you know, that's that's part of it. So I know I'm biased, right? In other words, I know I'm biased in all of these and every, in all these and all of the honorable mentions I'm going to say, I'm totally biased. Yes, I am. And so is anybody else who would give you their top three favorite settings, right? Like that's kind of the whole point. Um, but hopefully, <laughs> dear listener, as you listen to this and you hear us talk about these settings, you understand a little bit of what, why we enjoy them so much. And that that litany of things I just named off like those are real true things in the setting and they are things that hold interest for me and that make it really fascinating and different from any other typical sci-fi setting it's different from ashen stars it's different from star wars it's different from star trek it's different from babylon 5 like it might have certain elements from each of those but it's different mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and one of the classic issues of science fiction in gaming is that uh, there kind of can't be anything that is that is as kitchen sink as uh D, &D right right, right. Uh, not with I would venture to say sort of the the triad of Star Trek Star Wars and dune mm -hmm. right yeah uh, I'm gonna totally ignore Warhammer 40k for a second sorry Warhammer mm -hmm. 40k fans. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're at a much more extreme position on in the Dune direction, mm -hmm, right? Let's, right? Let's be yep. real about what that mm -hmm. is. Um, with a smattering of what if everything was terrible in Star Trek and Star Wars both at the same time, mm -hmm, um, right? But if you if you just thought of it as like you've got to pick a position in in that in that triad. Uh, and in a lot of ways, fantasy doesn't seem to feel the need to do that. Like an individual setting does, but mm -hmm. the the rule system doesn't. Right. Um, you you just kind of can't have something that supports. You know, most combat is about phasers. Oh, but some characters can have lightsabers. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. but also there's. Uh, shields that turn away fast weapons but are pierced by slow weapons mm -hmm. or th those are those are all mutually exclusive ideas 
and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Those are all great science fiction settings, but it is one of the things that is always going to give science fiction a harder time sort of uh, doing what fantasy does in the tabletop space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, that would be true even if you just had the hard SF, soft SF spectrum. Right. Well, science fiction also has another problem. And that other problem is that we live in the future. Yeah. Right. And when you look at traditional speculative science fiction from the early days of science fiction writing, a lot of those things that those writers talked about came true, right? Or yep. or some semblance of them came true, you know, wireless communication, uh, mm-hmm. you know, video calls, right? Um, yep. That sort of thing. But also the vast majority of what they say did not come true. And so science, science fiction books in particular date themselves as time goes on because to most of them, I can't, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but you get my idea, right? Where, yep. you know, if, 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 you know, it's sort of like uh, the same problem that um, the game Twilight 2000 has, right? In, in the early eighties, when Twilight 2000 came out, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like that's so far away. That could be the future. And it, it made sense. Everything that happened in the, in the setting. Yeah. Um, but now it's 2022 and none of that stuff happened and the world is a totally different place and we have different technologies. And so when you look back at that old antiquated thing, it feels old and antiquated rather than, rather than foundational and, and trend setting. Right. Um, I mean, and so it's fantasy- funny you mentioned that because I was looking at a twilight 2000 book mm-hmm. um, last week. It just yeah. happened. Of, to come of the, it. the new edition or no, no, yeah. no, yeah. no, I was, I was going through a, a friend's, uh, oh, the old qu- quite dated collection. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was a great game back then. I had a ton of fun playing it. We played it a lot. Um, but the premise of the setting made sense because, um, you know, I grew up in Livermore, California, yeah. and Livermore is where Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory is. By the way, they they just had that breakthrough with breakthrough with fusion energy. But um but back then, you know, we we were basically on the, you know, most bombable list, right? Right. A, a minor story that made every uh, major newspaper. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I feel course. I should point out. <laughs> I, I know. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying if you saw L in that in that story, that was that was the place, right? Um yeah. but but so you know so for me having a game where this is totally off topic, but having a game where there was some kind of nuclear war I mean, that was, I mean, I was, you know, I'm from the age of, we had to duck and cover. We did duck and cover drills, right? For, for, for nuclear war. Because like, they would totally help. Because that desk was going to save my ass, right? Yeah, right. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so that premise of that game totally made sense. But if you go back and you look at that now, the world is totally different. The technology is totally different. And so anytime you have a game that is more modern, that relies on modern tropes, but then projects itself into the future 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years or even 100 years, and then you see that that stuff didn't come true or that the, most of those things didn't come to fruition or they did, but so different that it's almost unrecognizable, it almost makes that it makes it like a, a bad prediction or a false prediction. Sure. Whereas fantasy doesn't have that problem. When you've got a fantasy setting, well, whatever I whatever I have in my head as, oh, that's very medieval, like, well, we're not gonna suddenly in 50 years discover that's not what was medieval is like, right? Like <laughs> that's not, 
You know what I mean? That's not going to change. Well, and n- none of them are actually trying to get to no, I what know. it was actually like. I, in yeah, the yeah, I know. Space. I know. I'm just saying, like, for example, though, but that but that is actually what people think of right because when you say oh fan that's medieval fantasy with with feudal you know kings and queens and you know whatever and they kind of skip the part okay yeah and dragons and you know magic and you know stuff that doesn't actually exist and never did right uh so yeah but there's kind of a common thing where you can look at something oh that was in the past and that means that if somebody writes something that's a little bit different it's okay because that was in the past and so yeah. it's not like a bad prediction. It's just like an alternate timeline. Whereas right. if you do something science fiction-y, even if you say it's an alternate timeline, people go, well, how come people in Traveler don't have cell phones? That's dumb. Right. You know? Right. Uh, and I mean, Star Wars is really interesting to to watch at its various, uh, various eras, you know, di- directly related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because Star Wars it's, it is now its own subgenre, right? right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Where, where things need to, in some way, connect to the fan, the, the, the science fiction, the, the fantastical science fiction, the science fantasy, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that worked for a pulpy science fantasy story in the 70s very specifically right right mm-hmm. um I, I have a friend uh who has argued pretty persuasively that you know that was the 70s looking back at the 30s and 40s right mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and so like even radio comes across as something more like tech and less like fully ordinary and ubiquitous. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also kind of uh, planet to planet is more like Island to Island in a South Pacific kind of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I'm going to touch on some of my other favorites. Yeah, so, yeah let's hear about your honorable mentions. Uh, so one of them, uh, shows up a bunch in a bunch of different games, and that is, I love a good fantasy Venice pastiche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the rule set that you use to show me your fantasy Venice pastiche is going to tell me a lot about what actually happens in this fantasy Venice. Mm-hmm. But um, Court of Blades and um, uh, Swords of the Serpentine are both doing something that is either recognizably or arguably fantasy Venice uh, as a pastiche. And I'm, I'm just going to love it every time. I, I, I don't know what it would take to actually sour me on a fantasy Venice pastiche, but no one's found it yet. Um, <laughs> right. In Swords of the Serpentine in particular, uh, it is the city of Eversink, which was... Kevin Culp's setting for his Defenders of Daybreak Story Hour, which is how I first heard the name Kevin Culp. Mm-hmm. Right, I have been a fan of his since the early 2000s when he was posting the Story Hour as Pirate Cat on Ian mm-hmm. World and mm-hmm. 
was just a huge fan of Defenders of Daybreak and the city of Eversink and the kind of um, jovial cynicism that Eversink sort of lives with, um, but also a more sort of high courtly fantasy Venice like you see in Court of Blades mm-hmm. is also going to appeal to me immensely. Um, So those are reasons that I didn't necessarily want to make this an all uh, non fantasy Mm -hmm. episode. I knew I want to talk about those. Um, So, yeah, well, we, we wanted to strictly talk about D and D settings in the last episode. So this was kind of open, so it's fine. Um, So my, so my, uh, one of my honorable mentions is eclipse phase. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've got Eclipse Phase on my, on my shelf here. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, Eclipse Phase is, uh, is for those that don't know, it's post-apocalyptic in a way. Uh, well, not in a way. It is post-apocalyptic because basically uh, some AI goes bad and destroys 90% of humanity. Um, and the rest of the humans, most of them anyway, uh, move off planet to uh, to other spheres where they have uh, habitats. Um, but you know, then then time moves on, and it's very transhumanist. There there is a a, a you know a, a way to uplift lots of different creatures. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's also a horror setting, right? Because there is the vast unknown, and most of it's dangerous. Yep. And uh, some of it's body horror, although you don't have to play the setting that in a way that highlights that. But because what happens is you you basically have your essence your ego your your mind um can be jacked into any body basically mm-hmm. uh what that means is you you can have lots of different weird morphological body horror type things occur that don't actually destroy you as a, as a person or as a pc yeah. um and so it's a very interesting way that they've done it. it's a very very well done system it's a it's a d100 system but the universe is just the, the universe is very interesting and everything they've written has created a fully fleshed out cohesive, you know, idea of, of what is happening and, and who the major players are and how, how someone as a, as a GM or as a player would move through that universe. And it's really fascinating. It's one of the only games where, you know, it's one of those games where the, 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 at least in first edition, I don't I haven't had I don't, haven't looked at the second edition, but at least in the first edition, the game begins with like eleven pages of fiction, right? Mm-hmm. And I usually hate that. I'm I'm the guy who skips that, right? I, Sam, I go to the rules. Sam, everybody is the guy who skips. Okay, that. I'm just I'm just making a point, right? But I will tell you that the fiction in the front of that did so much to make me understand the world that that game is taking place in. Nice. That I, it was, it's one of the games where I came back and I recommended, okay, you don't understand how, what you're supposed to be doing in the game, what you would do with this game, what you would do with this, go read that 11 pages or how, whatever it was 15 or 16 or nine or however many pages it was, right? Go read that. And at the first page, I was like, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? And then I understood. And then for the next 10 pages or whatever it was, it was like, oh, 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 I see how that would work in the, oh, I see that. I see, right. And it, and it was, it's one of the only games that that's ever happened, right? And I usually end up going back and reading that front part, that fiction part, which, but it's not my focus usually when I get a new book. But that in that particular game, it was like, suddenly I understood exactly what this game was about. 
And so it was very eye-opening, but it's really, it's a really great setting. It's a really, really interesting, great setting. I would probably never play a game in it just because of the system and how complicated it is. And, and it's one of those where you kind of have to immerse yourself in it and you need full buy-in to make it have the impact that it needs to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't got time for that. Like, yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. I would have to like, div- I would have to say, okay, this year is eclipse phase year and I'm going to run only eclipse phase. Cause I don't got time for anything else. Cause I have to be, I have to be giving you know, let me, let me say that a different way. Cause then when the way I just said it, it makes it seem like, Oh, it wouldn't be worth it or it's not. So, you know, don't bother or whatever, but here's the thing in order to make it, in order to give it the respect and attention it deserves as a setting, because it's that good. I would have to do that for me personally. I would have to, I I could only run that game for six months or eight months or something because I would, in order for me to feel like I was giving it the proper due. Yep. You know what I mean? So that's maybe a better way of saying it. Cause I don't want a shortcut. I don't want somebody to think, Oh, well, it's not worth looking at then. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying it's so rich and full of detail and full of a lot of stuff that you, you, you got to take it all in and, and use a lot of it and it's worth it if you've got the time. So anyway, what's another one of yours? This is, this is kind of a, a twofer because they're, they're similar in a, a key sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the um, the diceless games that cast you as a quasi deity or arguably a deity, mm, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we could be talking about Amber, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow. Those are the same game, right? On purpose, right. like mm-hmm. yep. just with mm-hmm. with uh, a sort of remixed setting. And I'm running Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, co-GMing with Rabbit now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had our first session after character creation, uh, and then December happened. You know, <laughs> yeah. oops. And so we're waiting till January to continue. But um, also Nobilis. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Mm-hmm. Nobilis has been hugely influential on just my ideas about how to present um, – bad guys in ways that they're still kind of PC playable. Right. Like here are their weird abstruse rules that they follow and keep them on the PC side in this situation. Um, the, the various uh, sort of behavioral codes in Nobilis, I really, really like, um, but just the, the, the nobles and the excursions were a huge influence for me on my ideas about uh, sort of cosmic nihilism mm-hmm. and what a embodied force of the cosmic nihilism might seem like. Um, and so that became a major thing in Dust to Dust that, that I right. talk about all the time. Um <laughs> And so, I mean, Nobilis is is famously, you know, a, a book that is Nobilis Second Edition is one of the most gorgeous role playing game books ever published. Mm-hmm. It, it's a coffee table book, and the marginalia are 
a bunch of the setting and they're, they're practically rules because that's how that setting works. Um, I have played it once, one session. Um, I tried to play another uh, game of it. We got through session zero and never met again. This is very common. Yeah. Um, but Nobilis is, is wonderful and beautiful and strange. Um, Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, especially with the players then making up the uh, Gossamer worlds they came from and just letting their own weird imaginations go places right. and coming to the table with those stories. It was also great. Um, and the the whole cosmic staircase uh, promises to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to getting back to that. So nice. that one's going to get one of my honorable mentions. Um, so one of my honorable mentions is um, I'm taking a page out of your book here. Yeah. Although it was already on my list when you said yours, but because uh, <clears throat> it's a GURPS supplement. Oh, okay. And I don't, uh, I don't play GURPS, um, but uh, it it's this, uh, it's this setting. It, it's earth, but it's uh, after an invasion and it's, it's, called the war against the couture oh, okay because it's it's based on the the series of books by david gerald uh-huh and of course i read those books when i was young i didn't i didn't know there was an rpg book about it at the time yeah uh and those books were very formative for me in thinking about and in, in or i should say in my life of reading sci-fi yeah. and in uh that time in in age where I was deciding I really liked the idea of being a scientist. Nice. Um, and, and this particular series is about this invasion occurs and the invading aliens are these giant fuzzy worms uh, that are intelligent and can communicate, but they don't communicate with humans, with human language, of course uh, they have to communicate in other ways. Um, and then they are, the reason why it's interesting to me, at least at what hooked me was they are, they are the sort of foot soldiers that are coming in because their job is to basically transform the ecology of earth into the ecology of their home planet. So that when the bosses, their, their owners, they're, they're kind of like puppy dogs in a way when their owners come in uh, now, the world is the way that they want it and need it for them to survive. And of course, the books are told from the human point of view. Of course, the humans are the protagonists, and so, uh, and uh, you know, there was like four or five books in the series, and he never finished it, and he's, you know, probably never going to. But um, uh, um, so, <laughs> here's the thing: is that uh, it's a really interesting setting to me, um, and a as are a lot of GURPS um, supplements. It's really well done. Um. I probably would not use it and play it with GURPS though. I, I would, I would convert it to something else, uh, but it's a really, really interesting setting. So it got one of my honorable mentions because um, I really, it's just something I really enjoy. Uh, it's not the most fantastic, uh, you know, sci-fi you'll ever read. But uh, for me at that time, it was really formative in how I was thinking about how real life science and ecology intersects with science fiction and how writers deal with the sort of issues that they would have when you're talking about something happening in the future, even though it's present day. Um, yeah. So anyway, what's next for you? Um, so I'm, I think we have 
gotten through the ones that I want to talk about in depth. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a bunch more of the, you know, uh, science fiction settings that really spoke to me. Um, it, a lot of times because they were, you know, way out in the dune end of mm-hmm. that triad that I talked mm-hmm. about. Yep. Uh, yep. I've never played Fading Suns, but boy, does the setting aesthetic just grab me. Um, I have have friends who have played and loved Fading Suns with long campaigns of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just never become a a thing for me. Um, But the things I know about the setting sound really awesome. Um, And also in that family is um, Scum and Villainy by um, Strash Asimovic and Mm -hmm. John LaBeouf Little, Mm -hmm. um, which I discovered that I liked so much uh, because uh, Rabbit and I got to play test um, an expansion, sort of another game in the same setting. It's not really an expansion. Another game in the same setting where you are playing the Dune-like noble houses Mm-hmm. Um, that that show up in the Imperium of that of that setting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very much intended to be a Dune pastiche where scum and villainy is, as you can tell from the name, here to be a Star Wars pastiche, right? Right. right. It, it's it's very much doing. Hey, we're flying around in the Millennium Falcon, um, doing a hacking crime, right? Um, <laughs> And I mean, I mean, I have since picked up Scum and Villainy and instantly fell in love with it. I, whenever I pick up anything of Strash's, I discover again that I love his writing. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I, I've told him this to his face, so I think it's okay <laughs> for me to say it on air. Um, but um, I'm a huge fan of that um, sort of future medieval situation mm-hmm. um both because you know it is the comfort of fantasy right. but also it is weird and baroque and that i just love that right yeah mm-hmm. um i've <clears throat> so, got all kinds of other things here i could mm-hmm. uh, well so yeah if you want to if you want to yeah if you want to just uh rattle off <laughs> so well, like <laughs> I love the additional energy that Ars Magica puts into historical accuracy, mm-hmm. right? And verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never gotten to run Ars Magica, but it's been on my I want to do this someday list since before the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. It was on my, you know, uh, New Year's resolutions that were very much canceled by the pandemic. Right. I remember um, you and I talking about it specifically. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else have I got here? I mean, uh, Band of Blades for being a uh, cleaned up in ways that still preserve the essence of the thing mm-hmm. um, version of the Black Company setting. Right. I'm a huge fan of the Black Company, mm-hmm. so I love Band of Blades. It's right. It's awful and dark, but it is awful and dark in better ways in a lot of cases than what Glenn Cook was doing in his own setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it's okay to have novels about those things. You know, people have different levels of comfort. They are much harder to be okay with at the gaming table when you're a PC. Right. 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 Um, so there's that. Um, the characters of Bend of Blades aren't necessarily the best people, but they're more heroic in essence than the Black Company. And that's fine. That's just that's just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be strange not to mention Middle Earth. I'm sitting here staring at my copy of uh, The One Ring, first edition and second edition. So <laughs> big old fan of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I still haven't gotten to run or play either of those. Just gonna you'll be hearing about it uh, from me again in a couple of days when we talk about you know <laughs> games I want to try. Um, well, so let me let me hit you with a few of mine while you're yeah, please. gathering your thoughts. So, um, I, I as an honorable mention, I actually have Star Wars on my list, but nice, it, yeah. but it's a very specific slice of Star Wars. Okay, it's the very specific slice of Star Wars in the Edge of the Empire core yep. rulebook only. Yep, and that's the one I played a little bit of. Yeah, and, Edge of Empire. Yeah, it, it is. It is very much scum and villainy. Well. Right. Uh, if Edge of Empire proves able to deliver uh, the experience that people get out of the TV show Andor, mm-hmm. then I guess that just makes it the best one. Yeah. Because well, so so many people want to right. feel what Andor made them feel. Yeah, yeah. And so this, it's just very well done. It is a quintessential slice of Star Wars that really plays well. Like it, the, I know, you know, there's, you know, there's a a lot of conversation that can be had about the funky dice that, 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 that FFG version of Star Wars has. Uh, But um, I'm here to tell you, I ran several one shots and a campaign of it. And as long as everybody's willing to try the dice are fine, it's not a big deal. Everybody gets used to it. It's, it's not horrible. Um, It's not perfect, right? There's no perfect there. I'm not claiming it's perfect. But for the slice of Star Wars that that gives you, for the feel that that gives you, you know, there's no Jedi in it, right? There's there's no, I mean, there's very, very little uh, force powers at all. There's definitely no lightsabers, you know. Uh, You don't have to worry about the Empire, although they are present, but you don't have to worry about them because that's not what you're doing. They're the cops, right? And you're trying to get away from them. Um, and it is a very specific, you get to play Han Solo version of Star Wars. And it works. The way they have it, it works. The obligation system makes it work. Even the dice, which are crazy, make it work. The the sort of cinematic nature of what those dice make you do in the game, it works. And somehow it all falls together. Now, when you start adding all the supplements and you start adding all these other different uh, races and species and you start adding all these other different weapons and you do all these other different skills and all these trees and all that, it just becomes another big heavy RPG. But when you talk about just the essence of the setting in that core rulebook, it's a perfect slice of Star Wars. So it deserved an honorable mention from me. Yep. Yep. Um, that is one that I have I've gotten to play very briefly. Mm-hmm. We had, had a good time. Um, stopping playing it was not commentary on the game, yeah, or, yeah. or the GM right. in any way. Um, yeah, I, I also wanted to mention. Uh, you mentioned Warhammer 40k. Yep. I, I want to actually mention Warhammer Fantasy. 
mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the Warhammer Fantasy setting, of course, is is the setting for one of the all time best campaigns ever, and that is the Enemy Within campaign. Yep. Um, and that setting, it's it's one of those where the setting and that particular campaign, the way the setting is in that campaign, and how you go about dealing with all the setting elements in that campaign, and how you start and how you finish, it just falls together so beautifully. It's like that game was made for that campaign, and so that setting and the game they fit in like like two puzzle pieces or a lock and a key that just when you open it, it just is perfect. Nice. Um, so here, so my, I have, I have two other, uh, well-known, um, honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, I have, I think only one other that I would not be able to forgive myself if I didn't mention. Okay. Let's hear it. That is, um, uh, tech noir. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the cyberpunk setting. Yeah. Um, we only played a one shot of it, but. Man, it got me into its specific vision of cyberpunk really well and fast. Is that the one with transmissions? Yep. Yeah. That's the one. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, I remember thinking that was a very cool way to do that. What it was yeah, it's a, it's a very good content model. Um, and so a lot of what works there is actually just really smart stuff on the information presentation side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, that's one of my few experiences with cyberpunk of any kind, right? Yeah. It just hasn't been something that I've I've played or that you know people around me have said, "Hey, we got to play this now." Uh, mm-hmm. Friends of mine have been playing things like uh, you know, Cyberpunk twenty twenty or Shadowrun or whatever since forever, but they weren't inviting me to those games for their own ineluctable reasons. Whatever, mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm actually very similar. I I have I have not. I think I played Cyberpunk way back, like original first edition Cyberpunk. Yep. Maybe once or twice, way back when. Never run it. Never really fully read a Cyberpunk rulebook. I'm not really interested in um. In uh, Sh- Shadowrun. Sure. I'm just not, and 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 I just never. I just never had a group that was very interested in Cyberpunk. In um, any iteration of cyberpunk. So I just, ne- it just was never one that I grabbed onto. That's a, that's a real hole in, in my gaming knowledge, actually. Uh, I will say that the cyber, uh, sorry, the, the shadow run uh, video games by Hairbrain studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you have to be willing to sit down for a, you know, computer role-playing game, mm-hmm. but the writing is great. Yeah. The tactical experience is great. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a, a baseline of XCOM, uh, but then also, you know, some of your characters have magic and are trolls and so on. It's great. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is my experience of Shadowrun as a setting mm-hmm. and strongly positive. Yeah. Um, I, it helps that, you know, I don't have to deal with a lot of the very, very crunchy, nitpicky Shadowrun rules. Yeah, that, that's a real benefit. So, so my last two of them are very quick mentions. And, <laughs> yep, and sure, I'm glad we did just top three. Yep, that's what yeah, we did. <laughs> right, I know. Well, I t- that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so impossible, right? It's impossible when you look. I've been in this hobby for a really long time, and I've played a lot of games, and I 
have love for a lot of games. And I mean, as big as this list is, I could list off also as big a list of games I don't recommend or wouldn't recommend. Like, not that they're bad. I just didn't have as much fun playing them and I wouldn't, you know, like I wouldn't be able to sell them. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, when you've had exposure to a lot of games and you've literally played and read those games, that's, you know, cause I'm not mentioning anything on here that I haven't actually played. Right. So let me, let me give you my last. So gamma world is one of them. Right. And the various different iterations of gamma world all have a different, uh, kind of backstory. Well, first and second edition have a similar backstory, but then you get to third and it changes and fourth. And there's actually like eight or nine different versions and it's really weird. And, but um, depending on, you know, whether you, uh, what what you're thinking uh, or what you're doing, it's, it's generally, there's always a lot of good factions in there. There's a lot of good faction play possibilities. Uh, there is uh, some kind of radioactive effect that causes you to be able to have a mutation that uh, also makes it possible for, um, you know, other creatures to to be sort of more bipedal humanoid like and and play. So uh, you can get plant creatures and you know uplifted animal type creatures uh, and and stuff like that. And so that's always good for a, a fun game. Um, and you know you can play it straight, but usually it's more fun played very wacky. Yep. Um, my other another one is is Robotech. Okay. But the original Robotech from Palladium Games. So so Robotech and all of its descendants, right? Mm. And in fact, essentially the the entire concept of Gundam mm-hmm. are just a yawning void in my fandom. Right. Well, not as a judgment, but yeah, I yeah. just haven't. I know. I know nothing about big robots i know nothing about gundam stuff i I don't know anything the only thing i know is robotech and the only reason i know robotech is because i watched the cartoon and i read the books yep and the books are based on the cartoon so it's not one of those where they had books and then they made a cartoon up no no this was the initial you know harmony gold show Mm -hmm. and then palladium kevin c and bietta right at palladium got the license for like 30 years to publish robotech he, he only recently lost the license because they didn't care about RPGs. Right. So uh, he only recently lost it, which is why, like in the past five years, three different Robotech based games have come out RPGs wise mm-hmm. uh, because he finally lost it. But he had the, the license for like 30 years or something. And the very first iteration of it is the one that was the truest to the cartoon, right? Which I called a cartoon. Now it would be called anime, right? But it was a cartoon back then because it was on TV on Saturdays and on in the afternoons. And that's what we watched. I mean, anime or cartoons, you're not wrong. Sure. But I, but I, I I guess my point is I call it a cartoon. I don't mean that as a derogatory statement. I don't mean to make it less. Didn't take it that way. Yeah. It's not less. I I hope none of our listeners would. I hope not, but just to be clear, right? Same same thing with the graphic novel, right? Sometimes I refer to those as comic books. I don't mean that as a bad slur. <laughs> That's just no. I understand it's an art form and it's a storytelling form and it's the mixture of those and it's brilliant most of the time. Um, but you know, that's just, you know, it's just a thing. So uh so Robotech is one. So my my last honorable mention is something I'm also gonna talk about uh probably in the next uh uh episode um but um it is uh the setting of east texas university and east texas university is a setting for savage worlds 
okay. and it is a horror setting. Nice. And it is set at a college, a, a fictitious college, East Texas University. Um, they also just kickstarted a, a, a like a middle school <laughs> one um, that that I that I kickstarted. Uh, and um, so here's the thing about it, right? I'm a professor, and I love college, right? Uh, there's a whole lot about college I don't like, and part of Part of what lets me work through that anxiety and, you know, there's there's a whole lot of high school I don't like, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't particularly have a great high school experience uh, or, or few years there. You know, everybody, oh, it's your formative years and it's your whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so part of, part of the problem is I'm a professor. I am in a college every single day of my life, right? Like. Well, every workday, right? And many evenings. Um, and I love college, but I hate it too, right? Like I hate school and I love school. And part of what helps me deal with that is my hobbies. And I usually don't like games that are based in school, but for some reason, and I know what the reason is, East Texas University is so palatable to me. It is so wonderful because all these jagoffs get killed, <laughs> right? <laughs> all of the bastards get killed in this game. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's basically a horror game. Of course they, they get killed, they, not everybody gets killed maybe, but, um, but for some reason it's very, it's done. I'm kind of selling it short and I'm, I'm making this about me, but it's really, it's, it, it is about me, but it's really not about me. <laughs> the thing that makes it, that makes it great is that it's funny. It's done in a funny tone, right? Yeah. Like it laughs at itself. There's big, dumb jocks, right? And they're big and dumb and they're the stereotypical big and dumb. And then there's the smart one, right? And the yeah. dumb ones get killed and the smart, nice one gets to live, right? Uh, it's very movie-esque in that way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's the, the, um, you know, idiot professor, right. Who, you know, does whatever and he gets his comeuppance. Right. Um, and then uh, there's the, the nice, you know, secretary who helps all the students, nothing bad happens to her. You know what I mean? Like, so it has, it has a, a funny kind of tone to it at the same time as being horror. Um, and for some reason it's a school game that I can totally stomach rather than just shaking my head and not wanting anything to do with it. I think it's important that we all acknowledge the horror of higher academia. It is absolutely a horror show. It is totally a horror show. It's definitely also separately. It's part of the horror genre. <laughs> yes, exactly. Unrelated. <laughs> Let's see. In, in all seriousness, it's a it's a really well done Savage Worlds setting. Uh, oh, it has good. a lot it has a lot of support. Um, it has comedic tones and horror tones, and honestly, that's necessary in horror because if you can't balance out the actual horror with funny or fun things, then it just becomes too too much of a drudgery. So, uh, so I've stayed away from talking about settings I personally worked on. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to break that rule for this last one okay um i want to tell you briefly about some settings i got to work on in one capacity or another okay um and i'm going to start with the most recent of those um uh, which was um ultraviolet grasslands um by wizard thief fighter uh luca regic mm -hmm. um 
so I got to proofread the second edition. Uh, this is an incredibly weird uh, OSR adjacent product. Mm-hmm. It is very old school in its sensibilities. It's psychedelic punk with the point crawl. Yep, that's yeah. the one. And I have it the first is, edition on my shelf. <laughs> it is wild and weird, mm-hmm. and I absolutely fell in love with that book while I was working on it. Yeah. I I never read the first edition, but that that second edition has so much going on and it is so weird and I'm crazy about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Very cool. It would, it would be weird of me not to at least uh, name check Seas of Adari. Um, of course I love Seas of Adari. I contributed a lot to it. I, I put stuff in there that I love and I hope you will love, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, both the Seas of Adari and the forthcoming under the Seas of Adari, which the PDF of which has now gone out to our Kickstarter backers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Dawning Star setting that uh, Blue Devil Games released for uh, originally D20 Future and then later, right, uh, mm-hmm. for Fate. Um, they, uh, a few years ago, Blue Devil Games released uh, Dawning Star Fate of Eos. Um, and uh, this is a... a a wonderful like exploring a planet and solar system uh, and dealing with the politics of all of that kind of uh, big adventuring setting. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of great space opera happening there. I, uh, it was nominated for uh, an any both uh, Darning Star Operation Quick Launch and Darning Star Helios Rising. I'm very proud of what we did there. I was an editor, right? Uh, mm-hmm. for, for both of those books. Nice. So that's kind of, you know, stuff I've gotten to work on. Um, there's also stuff that hasn't come out yet, so I feel weird recommending it. But uh, <laughs> when uh, Rain 2 finally comes out for everyone to buy, uh, you should absolutely buy uh, Rain Realities, the, 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 the setting book that has lots of different settings for, for rain too, okay. because rabbit and I wrote, um, gifts of starlight gifts of stone for that. Nice. And, um, it, it is about fey and giants and magic and all kinds of cosmic weirdness. And I am really proud of what we made. So very cool. That's settings folks. I think we did it. I think we did. We we discovered and 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 talked about only our top three non D and D settings, which is why this episode was done in about half an hour. That's right. So where can our listeners find you, Sam? Uh, you can find me on rpgmusings.com. You can also find me on Twitter currently at DM Samuel or on Mastodon at DM Samuel at dice.camp. You can find me on Discord all over the Tome Show's Discord. If you need a link to that, just uh, tweet me or toot me either on Twitter or Mastodon, and I will provide you with a link to those. You can also find me on uh, YouTube at RPG Musings. How about you, sir? Well, um, I'm still on Twitter for reasons escaping me, um, <laughs> at Brenda Stoddard. I'm on Mastodon at Brenda Stoddard at Dice.Camp. I write for Tribality.com. My personal blog is brendastoddard.com and my Patreon is brendastoddard. So I hope you'll check those out. Awesome. 
that brings us to the end of the 10th day of Christmas. We hope you're having a wonderful holiday. Where can people find you on the internet, Sam? Uh, you can find me at rpgmusings.com or you can find me on uh, Mastodon at dmsamuel at dice.camp. You can also find me all over the Tome Show's Discord. How about you, sir? Well, I'm still on the bird site uh, at Brenda Stoddard. I'm also on Mastodon at brandastoddard at dice.camp. I write for tribality.com. My personal blog is brandastoddard.com. And uh, I would love it if you would consider backing my Patreon, which is brandastoddard. It's a great way to support my work and see my blog writing early. Awesome. We will see you all tomorrow.